The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 16th. You know what that means, baby. It, oh, I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host, by the way. It's a Brady Quinn football show! <laughs> what's up, buddy? How you doing? What's up, Will? You almost forgot yourself there for a second. That's that's the type of selfless guy you are. Um, you think about others before yourself, man. So I'm, I'm well, excited you, to be here with you. You know what happened? Debo usually writes, I'm Will Brinson in the in the rundown. He didn't do it this time. So uh, I, it's like it's like <laughs> Ron Burgundy. <laughs> You're a straight prompter guy like, I'm Will Brinson? I'm like, a Brady Quinn football show? Uh, no, I'm just he, he doesn't really have to do that for me. But by the way, you know, Debo, do you? <laughs> he doesn't have to write. I'm Will Brinson. Most other stuff he does. You can always see me on you if you're watching on YouTube or on the CBS Sports app, which is free, by the way. You can see me like look down as I'm checking my phone and then like adding a day onto the date where we're recording. Full disclosure. So like doing TV, one of the funniest things. And I'm trying to think who taught me this, but they're like, yeah, you actually need to write down the simple stuff. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, usually when people have a note card, they have some notes down. It's like writing down the simple stuff because you're practicing or preparing for like the harder stuff, right? Whether that's the analysis, the facts, the dates, or whatever the case may be. Sure. Um, it's like the simple stuff that sometimes in that moment you will stumble on a mess up when you're on TV. It's like forgetting your name for a minute for whatever reason. So I, I can understand why you would need those notes though. I just, I want, I want to say as, as your friend, as a work associate, it's okay to admit that you need those notes because I feel like a lot of people need that sometimes, just a gentle reminder. Well, it's like if you were preparing to go on Jeopardy, you're, you know, you're grinding all these harder stuff and it's like, who's the third president of the United States of America? And you just go blank and don't hit the buzzer and you don't realize that it was in fact John Adams or is it Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> this is so amazing. <laughs> just kidding. Actually, I don't know the order of the early ones anymore. I think I forgot him. Can you name the five, the first five presidents? No, I, I, I will. I mean, I, we know who number one was. Uh, here's the thing is at this point, I'm not even sure if we still refer them as, as presidents considering cancel culture and how like anything that's happened in the past has pretty much been canceled at this point in life. So like were they our first five presidents? I'm not sure at this point. I'm not really sure what to think based on social media. So thank you for that. Social media. They're like, are you serious about this? You really don't know who the presidents are. Just leave me alone. Uh, moving along. By the way, today's Wednesday. So it means Brady Quinn football show. Pew, 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 pew. It also means that it's national signing day and we have wall to wall coverage on CBS sports HQ. If you're listening to this, you're probably capable of checking out CBS sports HQ right now because it is on from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
You can see where your team's class ends up in the 247 rankings. Of course, 247 Sports, the industry standard for uh, recruiting class rankings. Although I will say not we, – we can ask Brady about this in a second, but not 247 wasn't – hadn't combined it all, hadn't come up with the industry standard for rankings when you were coming through, although I assume you were at least like a three-star. Uh, there'll be live announcements throughout the day. I think Brady is a five-star. Live announcements throughout the day, including – oh, four-star. Okay. I think the rankings were tougher. They didn't give out as many five stars back in your day, right? Who knows? I honestly didn't really check in all that stuff. I just, uh, down. no, back then, I mean, you got to think about it. This is back yeah. in, uh, my first year in, in, uh, in, in college was 2003. Yeah, so when right. I got into high school, it's 1999. Like think about the, the dot com era, like the dot com bubble and all that stuff. It wasn't like the internet was like that prevalent. When I was in elementary school and a junior high, like you had AOL, like you got mail. So it, I mean, sure. You, you didn't go to Google for everything back then. It wasn't even like you had Google. Yeah, I think you had um, the Netscape. I think it was like what the Ask first Jeeves or Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves was another one. So yeah, um, dude, give me a break. Like, no, no, I, w- I didn't have a cell phone when I went to college. I tried to explain that to some guys the other day. They're like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, yeah, "Like, you guys are seven years younger than me. I know we're on a text thread together, but like, oh, no, this is a great point. There's a huge gap between like those who went to college with a cell phone." And those who didn't. And so I did have a cell phone while I was in college. Me too. But the differentiation was camera phone. You didn't have a camera phone. They came out with camera phones my senior year. And that's when I think everything changed. Yes. That's when everyone started taking photos wherever they were. I tried to document it. That's when like the Facebook came to Notre Dame and we had what MySpace. I remember being, this is the dumbest thing ever. I'll never join this to this day. I still haven't. Uh, because why would I want to share with everyone what I'm doing in my private life? Like you're either a part of it as a friend or someone or you're not, but I definitely don't want people who I don't know to know what I'm doing in my private life. Yeah. Uh, not to go off on a tangent about this and we will get back to sign day, but Brady, by the way, was a, uh, 82nd overall prospect in the country. It's pretty good. Four star in 0.9422 grade from the 247 sports composite. Uh, what is PR is pro? Is that pro style? Yeah. No, 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 but it says you're, oh, you were the fifth pro style quarterback. Sure. In the entire country. That's pretty cool. And the, uh, sixth overall prospect in Ohio. Yeah, sure. Sure. Who was better than you in Ohio? Devo, if you can bring that up, that'd be interesting to find out. Uh, <laughs> Ruben Drones, maybe? I have no idea if he's from Ohio or, or where he's Ruben Drones. I think he was before me. Uh, Prescott Burgess. Prescott Burgess, number one. Dante Whitner, who made it to the league, number two. Luis, here's Zary's tight end that I've got, I can't tell that story, but we actually played in the U.S. Army All-American game together. We were roommates. Oh boy. Let me just put it this way. Uh, being a good Christian boy from the Midwest and then being introduced to Luis Arizari from Youngstown, Ohio, who came from a rough background and boy, he liked to have himself a good time. I just remember one night walking in the bathroom going to take a leak and seeing what appeared to be some, uh, let's let's put it this way, some deflated water balloons uh, that were just laying around in the bathroom. I was oh. like, oh. all right, I must have slept through this when uh, someone <laughs> slept a girl in the room. Uh, and who else was in there between, who else was stuffed in there between Luis and Brady for that final front? <laughs> we had uh, David Patterson, another Ohio State guy, Sean Crable, and then Brady, and then right after him, Anthony Gonzalez, another former first-round oh. pick. Yeah, so Prescott played in the NFL. He's a linebacker, went to Michigan. Uh, Warren Harding, they were studs that day. They, they won the state championship my senior year. 
So four of the top seven prospects in your class from um for, in from Ohio made it to the pros. That's pretty stout. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's see, Press, well, Crable maybe, maybe did for a minute. He also went to Michigan. They were both kind of those inside backers. We had some great battles in college. Uh, Dante obviously was a stud. I love Dante. I, we went, we actually got, basically, we drove everywhere. Uh, so Ted Ginn Sr., Ted Ginn Jr.'s dad, sure. he, he used to coach at Cleveland Glenville. He literally had a white, uh, van that he drove in and we would follow him through all these different camps. So like back then you didn't have the rivals or the Elite 11 or, I think Elite 11 was big on the West Coast, not so much in the Midwest, or Nike camps. So you had to go to every school. And so my mom and myself, and then there's a, a running back named Justin Valentine and his mom, we all carpooled, like, down all throughout the South. And it was guys like Dante Whitner, obviously Ted Ginn Jr., some some other players as well. Uh, they were all going around getting looks for different colleges. So his dad was such a great dude. He got so many kids a free education, an opportunity to play college ball, uh, just from taking them to different places that they'd never been. Um, and so it was, it was pretty neat, but like Dante was who I got to know from doing a lot of those different camp visits. Uh, he's the quietest talker I've ever been around. And he's actually doing a great job as an analyst for the uh, 49ers. Nice. Uh, by the way, the quarterbacks ahead of you, Kyle Wright. Yep. Went to Miami. Yep. Or the pro style quarterbacks ahead of you. Chris Leak. I didn't realize yep. you were the same class as Chris Leak. Florida. Yep. Charlotte I still Ledge. remember going to the U.S. Army All American game. We're on the same team. And Tyler Palco's dad, who Tyler Palco, I think was the year ahead of me, ended up going to Pitt. But he like would personally Did you play stretch. With him in Kansas City? Uh, no, he was before me. Okay. He would like personally stretch out Chris Leak before and after every practice. We were like, I think they were so like happy he came to the actual game itself. He just like took care of him, like everything we did. And I'll say this, Chris Leak threw the tightest spiral I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like to this day, I remember walking out on the field, uh, we started doing Pat and Go. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He threw a, he spun the ball, just gorgeous. Unbelievable. Now the only issue was our center, John Sullivan, who ended up being my center in college. Yeah. He did admit, he's like, yeah, I had to call the plays because Chris never really won the offense through the course oh. of that week. So wow, you said some real geniuses between Chris Leak and uh, Tim Tebow there at Florida. Um, after that, those are the only two five stars, Tommy Grady. Out of, uh, Huntington Beach, Huntington Beach, no, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Yep. And then, uh, of course, another name that I'm sure you will recognize, Joe Marcus Russell. Yep. Yep. Old Joe Marcus, who to this day, I still would say I would put him up next to Josh Allen, Mahomes, and those guys as far as strongest arm. Sure. I've, I've never gotten whiplash than the first time I walked out. We were training the offseason preparing for the combine. I walked out, saw him throwing to some receivers. And I was like, my God. I mean, I didn't pay attention to him in the Sugar Bowl because I was more concerned about their defense. Sure. But watching him throw the football, I was like, oh, my goodness. That dude's got as strong of, strong of an arm as you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and, man, what a year for the – I mean, that's such a, such like peak 2003 college football, too, where the top five pro-style quarterbacks are Miami, Florida, Oklahoma, LSU, and Notre Dame. Like the, like the Blue Bloods just gobbling up the top prospects and in, in, in winning a bunch of football games. Um Dennis Dixon was in that class as well, number two dual threat. They don't yeah. do that anymore with the dual threat and the pro style, I don't think, do they? They do. They differentiate them. You just get more, a lot more dual threats nowadays. I think that's where the games evolve. You would be a dual threat now, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, the part of the reason why I was labeled what I was labeled was because of the offense we ran. My first uh, couple of years in high school was pro, pro style. And then our last two years, like, we didn't know what we were. Our coach, Mark Crabtree, is still there at Dublin Kaufman. He originally like ran this system that was from like a division three school in Georgetown, Kentucky. It was more based off the run and shoot. 
but he came from a triple option. So we had like midline and, and speed option worked in there. And then we had some like unbalanced sets that we used. And then the, like the next year, because I, I ended up hurting my foot, we had to adapt to go more of a four wide spread. And then after I left, he goes to like a five wide, no huddle up tempo. I'm like, where the hell was this when I was there? Like we really didn't even have a running back my senior year. We used a slot back and then Brandon Barkis is that. And he, we probably should have made him just a full time running back, but we would have been better off just having me run and then throw the ball to those guys the whole time. Uh, Debo informs me that NC State actually landed the number three dual threat quarterback in this class. I, I think it was Marcus Stone. Is that correct, Debo? You are. I think correct. you're right. From yeah. Bishop McDevitt in PA. Yeah. So we got Marcus Stone to let Chris Leak walk to Florida out of, out of the, that would explain why Chuck Amato got fired. Um, <laughs> well, they probably had a better bag, man. True. It, well, also, I guess. So like Marcus Stone and Jay Davis and like followed Philip Rivers, which not a great spot to be in. You know, we could follow the greatest quarterback in ACC history. Until until the until the uh, Deshaun Watson, maybe you could say is past. Trevor Lawrence is there now too. Yeah, if he wins another, yeah, yeah, that's fine. If he leaves after three years, I think it's a tough sell, but okay. Here we go. Um, maybe if, uh, maybe if the Irish join the, the, join the ACC full time, uh, you, you would be an ACC legend. You know that, right? Right. But why would we ever want to do that? You know, we've, we've done it this year. We've seen how it's worked out for the ACC. Like if I'm Miami, if I'm Florida, North Carolina, I'm ticked off because I would have potentially been going out in Florida State, but maybe, you know, Miami or North Carolina, you would have been playing in this weekend's game, but unfortunately now you're not. So, um, correct. Uh, by the way, this is, this actually, this, this is a first, I believe, a, a, a five to 10 minute tangent that was launched out of a promo read. I'm not sure that that's ever happened in the history of the show, which is impressive because this show has a lot of tangents. As we mentioned though, but see, recruiting's fun. Like, yeah, I love getting pumped up about signing day and these kids are, and it'll be different because it's a, you know, it's a COVID era signing day and, and it'll all be Zoom and all of that. But that's why you want to watch it on CBS Sports HQ. We'll have live announcements throughout the day, including flip watch, rankings, leapfrogs, and of course, signing alerts. You'll get that Kornacki election night feel. Uh, it'll be Chris Hassel and the khakis play. Oh, I knocked my computer. Just dodging left and right. Talking about the different things happening. Do we like Kornacki or are we really all in on that? It's not our network. So we can, we don't have to like butter them up and not really be genuine about it. I, I think it's a bit of a gimmick that's, that they're going to play out, but it's fine. I, I'm still a little suspect of the whole thing. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't honest. think, well, I, I think it's kind of cool that they're doing it, but I don't think you need him to explain it. Well, how about this? Since, uh, well, we were talking before the show about the potential like seating and chances of teams getting in. Let's just get right into it because I, the reason why I don't like it is it's not that dramatic. All right. We've got right. seven teams on each side. There's well, not I, many spots that are open. I agree with that. And I would also say that it would be better if he were doing like, he's like, here's the path for this team. Here's the path for this team. Instead of he's like, here's this team has 37%. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, but let me finish. No matter what D1 school you root for, we'll have you covered with breakdowns of all the teams. It's nine hours of programming, after all. You're home for winners and losers, top classes, and diamonds in the rough to remember. All available on the CBS Sports app on your connected TV and your mobile device. Go download it for free and watch Signing Day HQ coverage wall-to-wall, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on December 16th. Woo, that's a long promo. 
That's like a uh, like a like a fish concert, you know, like you're doing like one song and all of a sudden another <laughs> song breaks out for 15 minutes and you come back and and you finish it up. Maybe it would have been an unfinished jam. Never uh, went to fish, but it, all their music does kind of sound the same. It's kind of like Grateful Dead. I feel bad saying that because there's some people who are like big deadheads. They all kind of sound the same, don't they? All the songs. I mean, I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. But... Are you? Yeah, I love. Do they not all sound the same? Uh, I don't think so, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, could you, you gotta say like Dave Matthews is kind of that like same similar thing, like all the songs. Okay, okay, let's talk to the AFC playoff race in the NFC playoff race. And then we'll hit a little bit on college football after the break. Since we ate up all of our time talking about college signing day, but those are, those are good stories. That's what the people come here for. They don't come here for me talking about series. Oh man. <laughs> I remember after the game, he was like trying to flee the field because whoever he had relations with during his time in San Antonio Shut was up. trying to track him down. And he was and like, not in a bad way, just like one to marry him, you know? And he was like, I got to get out of here, man. I got to get back to Ohio. <laughs> she thought she found like a perspective. Like She thought she, she, thought she found what maybe she, I mean, she thought she was going to cling on and they were, you know, taking off in that, that spaceship into the NFL. But uh, he, was, he was trying to get out of there ASAP. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I mean, I've got my high school sweetheart. I'm just like, babe, I'm not sure what's going on, but it's getting kind of dicey around here. Just whatever you read in the papers, just know it wasn't me. <laughs> um, okay, so we know we trust – or let's just talk about the AFC playoff picture and yeah. how – and the NFC as a whole. The, I, I think you, this is the point you were making, too, about the Kornacki stuff. He's like, you know, there's a, there is some interest in terms of how the seeding is going to play out. Yeah. But not necessarily a ton – one, because like we, when week 17 rolls around, I was having this conversation on Twitter with Greg Rosenthal of NFL media. It, let's say the bills are the three seed and they're one game back of the Steelers who are the two seed. And those two seeds are locked in. The chiefs are locked into one and the, are the bills definitely playing everybody the whole game to try and get that two seed? Cause I don't know that you are. I mean, like the, the three seed and the two seed are essentially the same in a year where there's no real home field advantage. You, you know, even if you had to play at the two seed, you're going from Buffalo to Pittsburgh, which is, is not that far. Um, you're not going to get a buy either way. So don't you, I mean, has the NFL watered down the importance of the final week of the season and or seeding in this year with the seven seeds per side? Yeah. I think anytime you expand the playoffs, that's what you essentially do is you water down the, the week 17 matchups, right? The plans because you get more teams going in. That's kind of statistically like what, how you'd look at it, the argument. I'm with you. I don't know that there's a big difference in being two or three. Um, you know, obviously that's changed with the addition of the seventh team. I also feel like if you look at the AFC picture, for example, so as of right now, as it stands, you know, today, Wednesday, uh, Kansas City is the one team I'm saying, like, I would take them versus anyone, right? Like, I don't really foresee them getting upset unless Patrick Mahomes just have an, has an awful day. And even then, like, even if he threw, how many interceptions did he have versus Miami? Three? I mean, even if he throws three, he can still come back and win the game. And it, it, like, you never really feel like they're out of control. So, well, maybe, maybe how, here's how we should frame. Well, let me finish. Let me finish. So then how I'd say it is, look, the only thing like I'm most concerned with, I think is like, if I'm Pittsburgh, do I want to play Baltimore again? If they slide in that seven seed spot, like you'd probably rather take on Miami. If you're Buffalo, now you're looking at Indy right now, right? Yep. And. That, that to me is like a terrible, I, I think I'd rather play Tennessee than Indy. 
Um, and so it, it's just kind of interesting how it's worked out. Now, granted, Tennessee and Indy could flip. There's still time for that. Uh, but like then the Browns taking on Tennessee, the Browns pounded Tennessee. Like does Tennessee want to be in that position? I'm sure they're dying to, to try to, you know, win the division or try, try to not be in that spot, which is odd though, right? When you look at it built, you know, so it's like, I, I think that's a good point. Would you, do you think that, cause, and we've heard people talk about this sort of in whispered tones, you know, like I think Sean McVay had this option. It was like, do you want to, you know, sit your guys, you lose, you get the four seed, or, you know, you get to get to play the fifth, you know? Yeah. Is it, it's probably a little greedy to get worried about a matchup when you're trying to win or lose a week 17 game, right? Yeah. I, 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 there's so many things that you feel like might be out of your control. So like, you're not going to play it, not knowing how that's going to work out. Maybe during the course of the game, if you're playing at the same time, the second half, you see the certain result or it's a blowout. Maybe then you kind of pull your guys or, or the result that you're looking for isn't going to happen. So you pull those guys. Um, I, I just, I think the only, the only, you know, spot that you really want to be in, if we're looking at the entire playoff picture is the five seed in the NFC. Cause you're probably going to play the winner of the NFC. You're playing the winner of the NFC East and you're playing that, that Washington football team, which as good as they played, as tough as that defensive front is, I still think that's a team that I'd rather play as opposed to some of the other teams that are ahead of them at that point. That, that, that's fair. So I look at it like this. The problem with if you're Pittsburgh and you're, all right, we want to play for the two seed so we can get the Dolphins. You might end up getting the Ravens. Like you just don't right. know. So I think, I think you just have to come up with a philosophy. Like we're okay being the two or being the three. What we don't want is Ben Roethlisberger throwing another 45 passes in week 17. Or right. if you're the, the Bills, you're like, listen, you know, we cannot afford to have Tremaine Edmonds aggravate a hamstring injury or whatever it is in week 17. So we are going to be okay as the two or the three, you know, we get the division, you know, worst case scenario, you fall to the four. I don't think it's, I think five and six are probably interchangeable in the AFC. Um, sticking with the AFC though, I do have a question. Like you mentioned that no one can beat the chiefs and, or no one, no one is likely to beat the chiefs. And I, I agree with you completely. And Vegas agrees with you as well. I think the chiefs are minus money to, to make it to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. If you were sort of, if you had to rank the top three teams that you think are likely to beat the Chiefs, and you can include, um, anyone, I mean, if you, if you feel so inclined, you can include the Raiders, but I, you know, I think anybody from basically two down to the Raiders at seven and six. Yeah. Who are the two or three teams you think that would give the Chiefs the most trouble in the AFC? Yeah, I mean, the tough thing with saying the Raiders is I don't think they make the playoffs. They're at seven and six right now. You look at the rest of the, their path. I, I just don't foresee them finding a way in, right? I mean, they're, they're behind the Baltimore Ravens, who you think would be the next team. And if not Baltimore, it's probably Miami. So unfortunately for them, I, I just think that's going to be a struggle. Um, I think the teams that could, I mean, we could say Buffalo, because I think they could maybe go blow for blow with them, uh, as far as offensively, what they present and defensively. They haven't played great this year, but they have. They've been a little bit better of late. I'd like to say Pittsburgh. Um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair either. Just be, just the past two weeks, obviously, you know, it doesn't give you much confidence in their offense. We don't figure things out. Their own lines, I think, been exposed. They can't run the football. Uh, Ben's, you know, getting the football out of his hand quick, which is fine. But unfortunately, you know, that doesn't really allow them to be successful like they were when he won his two Super Bowls, where he, he was holding he on the ball. On the field either. No, he can. It's just, I think, you know, remember how he was? He was taking shots. He was shrugging guys off. He was extending plays. And then he was chucking it downfield. Like he, I don't think he wants to do that anymore. 
like this past week versus Buffalo was the first time where I kept seeing him get hit. And I'm like, that's affecting him. Like you can visibly see he doesn't want to get hit. He's, he's older. He's taking a bunch of hits. I think as much as it's the O line, as much as the offense, the playmakers on the outside, I also think there's an element where like he's like, I just don't want to get hit anymore, man. Like, like I'm, I'm done with that at this point. So, uh, the problem is their defense too. Now the Spillane's out. They're just taking, you know, too many shots in the middle of that defense. And then Highsmith is a, is a, you know, isn't as productive as, as Dupree was. So I, I don't uh, know. Oh, you mean, uh, uh, not Highsmith. Um, no, Highsmith. Oh, I think you're, I thought you were talking about. He's the third round pick out of Charlotte. He's a replacement. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the guy that they traded for who I'm, uh, who I'm so much of drawing a blank on, but he's out. Keep going. Just keep talking. Don't worry about me. <laughs> no. So like, honestly, like if you're asking me that question, like Buffalo, Pittsburgh, yeah, maybe they could. Uh, outside of that, like, I don't know, man. Like it, it's hard to get a sense or feel for it because much like the, the Tyreek Hill touchdown this past week where like kind of turns on the additional speed and you're like, wow, he, he got to the end zone so fast. Like that's, that's what that team is. They just like press a button and they go into a mode that no one else has. So if I were ranking the teams and I'm, I'm biased, but, um, I think the Colts are the, the best option to take out the Chiefs. I think they can hang with them offensively. I think they can run the football. They have a veteran quarterback and they have a defensive scheme and a defensive coach and Matty Rufus, who's done a great job adjusting. I don't think they'll stop them. It's impossible. The Chiefs are the best team in football by a wide margin, but I think that, but the, you're, you're, Dismissing me. You just, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I just, it's just so a pro. Like, I but, just wish, I, I, I wish you would I, advertise more your love for Philip Rivers. And then, and then so everyone would know every single time you say it, like, this is past like being a homer. Like at this point, the Colts are good. I don't show It's like a like, long lost lover that you just don't want to admit the fact that like, you're just like this little kid with your little Colts flag, like waving for him. Like, let's go, Philip. Let's go get out there and sling it around. That defense is really good, man. I don't know what to tell you. I, I get it. The problem is, like, every third game, he just has a terrible game. And, and I get it. Like, they look better to run the football with Jonathan Taylor. And maybe you're right. Maybe maybe, maybe they are going to be the team that knocks him off. I just it, – it, it seems unlikely, you know, given how this Chiefs team can play. And, I, and again, as, as, as good as the Colts have looked, the name of the game right now in the NFL is being able to extend plays. Phillip Rivers cannot do that. And so if they stop the run, he becomes there's a big bullseye on him sitting in the middle of the pocket. And even as good as that offensive line is, I still think the Chiefs have enough to get after him. So even in that likelihood, like I'm not sure I'm not so sure that the Colts don't get bowed out in the wild card round. That, that's gonna be the best thing about, by the way, in going back to the conversation about week seventeen versus wild card round. The wild card round is gonna be so much more entertaining because I think anything can happen this year. There's been previous years, dude, where like those games are just they're kind of blowouts, yeah, so sure. they're yeah, they're bad. Um, I don't, I don't see that being the case in either conference this year. I, I would agree with that, and I, I think, th- like, there's a lot of shifting that'll go on in the AFC in terms of the seeding, and I, I still think you're right. Like, we could see a bunch of really exciting games. Now, th- this is where it favors the Chiefs too. Is that Miami could get the seven seed and up in Pittsburgh? That is, that is absolutely realistic. Hundred percent. And the Colts could get the six seed in up in Buffalo. Yep. And the Browns have already beaten the Titans. Right. And then all of a sudden it's just, here you go, Patrick. <laughs> Enjoy your path to the Super Bowl. Now, I, like, I just, I don't see Cleveland as a team that can beat Kansas City. Um, I think if they played their style, but I'm with you. I mean, look, they, they showed me a lot this past week. They really did. I mean, I thought Baker stepped up, not in great conditions as far as the weather, but just the way he handled that, you know, bringing them back. Um, 
the with the fight that they had down what fourteen where they came back. I mean, it, it showed a lot. The way that like Donovan Peoples Jones has emerged as, as one of the options outside of Higgins. I mean, they're doing it without OBJ. I mean, right. Well, and that, and that thing is like DPJ has become like their biggest weapon, which is probably shocking or disappointing to Michigan fans because he was a heralded recruit as we're talking on National Signing Day. Um, he he never lived up to expectations there, and now he gets on with Cleveland being a late draft pick, and he literally has become like their deep option. He looks so different than what he looked like in Michigan. So. Um, he, you know, I, look, I would give the Browns a chance just because they've got one of the best defensive players in the league. The way they play, they can control the clock. And I think Baker, you know, him and him and Patrick have a little history, man. So it, 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 it'd be fun. It'd be fun to watch them go back and forth and just see how that game would go. Do you think, do you think that Baker over the last two weeks? I mean, I, I think this to a small degree, not an entire, um, like I think, because I'm a big, I'm a big Baker fan. I think Baker is going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. I think people wrote him off way too early given the circumstances. And it feels like the last two weeks, particularly because of the weather, because of the opponent, because of the stage against Baltimore, because of how they fought back even down 14 and the way that they just whip Tennessee's ass through the air. It sort of feels like every, not, not that people are back in on Baker, but that he's gotten everybody off his back, especially as it relates to like Cleveland folks in Cleveland who are just sort of hawking down his future. Right. I, I put it this way. Tennessee really didn't show much. It, it, everything was still based off of the play action and the, and the boots and all that. I mean, no one holds on to the football. Tennessee though. I mean, right. But like there's guys running wide open, like your grandmother could have hit him. You know, it's, it's like no one holds on to the football longer than Baker because of their play designs and the space he gets in the pocket and everything else. This past week versus Baltimore is different. You know, they spread things out. They went five wide. He had to get the ball out. He had to be accurate on time on the money, diagnose where he wants to go with the football. There was times where you had to create, you know, obviously the the rushing touchdown as well. Like there was times when it was different. Like he had to put this team on his back and he did. Uh, and he was able to bring them back. So, uh, not even so much Tennessee. I just think what he displayed versus Baltimore was like what they needed to display. Now, granted, still a lot of production came off play action, came off that, but there was, there was elements where like he had to step up and he did and he delivered. So I, I think the, the, the past week's game was definitely more telling as to what I think he's going to have to do. So just to kind of not put a cap on the conversation with, with, you know, looking at the playoffs, looking at the conferences and, and the matchups. But, you know, when you talked about the scenario of who would be playing if Miami upset Pittsburgh, for example, and Cleveland beat Tennessee and Indy beat, um, beat the Bills. Now, not, not that like this matters anyway, because if you look at the playoff structure, if Big Ben's eliminated, like who else do you really buy into that's been in the playoffs and had a lot of success? I mean, Patrick is it. And then we always talk about that this time of year. You love to have a quarterback who's got experience in the playoffs, who's done that. And I don't know that Phillip Rivers falls into that, which the <laughs> fact that you've got a little, a little figurine is case in point, an example of the fandom and this being beyond like being a homer. This is just like a love affair. My wife got me that for, uh, for Chris. By the way, I'm being assaulted by this son in my office. Um, uh, my <laughs> wife got me, my wife got me that for, uh, for Christmas at Tom Fornelli's suggestion. He's like, you should get him a doll for Christmas, a Philip Rivers doll. And then she actually found one. Um, and you know, anyway, whatever. I don't, I don't, I had someone who support, you know, would, who would support me the way you support Philip Rivers in the business. That would be fantastic. If I would have had someone like that. Don't make me get a Brady Quinn doll. I will. I will get it. Well, you don't support me to say like there is not that blind faith and just, you know, like what's Philip Rivers record in the playoffs anyway? Uh, I think it's like, I want to say like four and six. 
Yeah. I mean, he's got experience, but like, so outside of that, like an AFC championship game with that in ACL, I'm getting blasted here. What is happening? Um, so, so like maybe you're relying on him and you're saying, all right, if, if it works out that way, you know, Tannehill last year, obviously with their nice run, even though he wasn't asked to do quite as much, Philip Rivers has some experience. We'll see how that, that factors in here. And then Ben, like outside of Patrick Mahomes, who, has been phenomenal, like every, every time he's in the playoffs. So that, that if we're looking at it from that perspective, that's what's going to be interesting is like if the quarterback experience in the playoffs plays a factor into those matchups. And if it's like Ben's experience over Tua, if it stays that way, yeah. um, or, you know, Tannen Hills over, you know, Baker or Phillip Rivers over Josh Allen, like that's going to be the interesting thing, right? Allen's only played one game and there was some questionable decision making in that one game. Yeah, so for me, I think what's interesting about this particular group of AFC playoff quarterbacks is that obviously Mahomes and and Big Ben and Phillip Rivers, I think, you know, they can provide a steadying presence. But I think with Big Ben and Phil, like you're going to need to get a great defensive effort and probably a pretty good uh complementary effort from the other pieces around him. In, in the case of Big Ben, the guys with the bricks on their hands, they start catching the football. In the case of Rivers, I think that you need to see what we've seen from Jonathan Taylor the last few weeks in that offensive line. Like, if they run the ball really well and play great defense, I think they can take anybody down. If they have to lean on Phillip Rivers to win a bunch of playoff games for him, it's not going to happen at his age. Um, the other thing is, let's not forget where that game's being played. Arrowhead. Like, is Phillip Rivers really going to be able to put up one of his best performances playing in Buffalo? Oh, in Buffalo, yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, you're talking about a guy who played the majority of his career in Southern California – and then obviously it's been in a dome now. It's like that I don't, at that age and everything else, like that's those usually aren't the conditions you're looking for. Like to your point, they've got to rely on that defense. They got to rely on having a running, running game. If weather conditions in Buffalo are terrible. I mean, that's something that Josh Allen's dealt with since he's been there. Yeah. And, and the Allen thing I think is fascinating too, because we like he's quietly put together a really good primetime big game resume over the past couple of years. Like he's playing exceptional football in big spots. I know he had that, the, the, the hilarious turnover at the end of the, you know, the postseason game uh, last Houston year. game, yeah, where he's just that was, that was so weird, but it's so weird. I don't know. I I, 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 for, I I would forgive him as a fan for it. You know, he's just trying to make a play. I just think that Allen has the potential to put it all together for three games and just play at a really high level and shock everybody. And so I don't think that's off the table. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if you can bank on that for Baker or Tua just quite yet. And then the Ravens are fascinating because they might be coming into the playoffs on a five game win streak with Lamar sort of, uh, you know. Finding his footing, you know, figuring out how to, uh, do, do, I gotta ask but you. Steve Levy had referenced slipping. Does anyone have more fun saying slipping than Steve Levy? Slipping. He, like every single time he like wanted to draw attention to it, we're like, yeah, we get it. And by the way, like this is part of what you guys miss out on when you don't have me on a show that follows a game that's in Cleveland, for example, right? Like I could explain to you, well, why is the field so slick? Because it looks like it's in really good condition. It does. Now, some of that could be some paint that time of year, but when the, when the field like that is heated and you have a mixture of heat from below, but obviously it's, it's freezing cold up top, you know, close to freezing temperatures, you do get this combination of like moisture at the top of the grass. So it ends up being a lot more slick than you realize because of the heat from below and the heat from below and the, the cold weather from above. So it, it creates a little bit more of like a give with that grass. It's not going to hold as well. And so all, all those guys who weren't wearing like your typical screw-in cleats that could be deeper, they were going to have some issues out there with their footing. Okay. That's great insight. We should have had you on for that. Um, also, I would be remiss if I didn't have you 
if I didn't ask you before we get to a break here, and then we tackle the NFC on the other side and just toss this college football thing out of the window because, you know, we got lives and families. Um, uh, is the, when you're, when you're running back to the locker room as a quarterback in Cleveland, is the, is the floor slick where you feel like you got to kind of clinch and, uh, and shuffle in order so you don't slip if you're trying to move quickly to get back there or, uh, you know, alternate. You need to take a deuce is what you're saying. Yeah. Like if you're running in cleats and you feel, and you feel, you feel something. What is the song? Turtle heading. Yeah. There's a little, yeah. I don't even know if it was a turtle. I'm more like a, like a, something a little less solid than a turtle probably. Well, like a water balloon about ready to burst in your pants. Yeah. That's right. So do you think Lamar Jackson was cramping or pooping? No, I think he was cramping. I mean, look, he had the bandage that you typically have if you're getting an IV. The other thing I'd say is, like, I never really experienced full body cramps besides one time in training camp. I think it was actually in Cleveland, ironically enough. Um, but you just go and get an IV. You know, that's – oh, no, excuse me, it was in Kansas City. It was in Kansas City. Because uh, you just go get an, an IV. And, and usually what happens is, like, your calf will cramp in your right leg and your hamstring cramps in your left leg. Then, you're like, your arm or forearm starts cramping. And you're just having a hard time being able to stop your body from cramping overall. And that's why he probably was jogging a little bit more gingerly, not only just because of the surface being potentially slick, but also because like at any point in time, something else could cramp up. Um, so, and by the way, you could only fix that via like intravenous uh, hydration, right? Your IV, you're not going to get that, um, via banana, the Gatorade salt packets or any of that stuff. So, but no, it, it, like I'll be honest. If he would have said he had to take a, a deuce, I would have been like, yeah, I could see that because. That's the walk that everyone can relate to. Like, not every guy can relate to a full body cramps dealing with that, but everyone knows what that walk looks like. And unfortunately for Lamar, they both look identical. You know, when you're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to go back there. So yeah, you, you could, you could run with that theory if you want, but I think he was getting an idea. It was a pretty good time on Twitter with the, the poop jokes. I mean, it was like a solid, just two hours of high quality poop jokes. Like, yeah, Lamar got flushed from the pocket again. You know, Lamar's out. You need to really stick to the runs or run. Ooh, Jackson gets sacked. Whoa, he dumped there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He dumped out of the play. Oh, just tons of stuff. Uh, okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll look at the NFL, or the NFC, excuse me, uh, playoff race. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so we promised some college football talk and some draft talk, but you know what? There's there's all kinds of bowl season, hopefully. Knock on wood, the first bowl scheduled for the Saturday already canceled. Yikes. Uh, by the way, the, you, you hate Michigan, right? Um, wait, which game was canceled? Please explain. The Fresno Bowl. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So John Harbaugh, is this, is he done in Michigan? Two and, he's going to finish two and four this year. Uh, I don't know that he's done in Michigan. I, I think 
the problem is because I'm talking about maybe an extension, and the issue is he would have to take a pay cut. Uh, he's paid as one of the highest paid coaches in college football. Clearly, he hasn't warranted that since he's been there. Now he's improved the program. They were averaging like six, six and a half wins to went before he got there. Now about nine wins a season, excluding this year. But he hasn't been Ohio State. He hasn't won the big games or you know their their you know rivals or opponents enough, top twenty five opponents enough. So the question really becomes like, does it make sense moving forward? And unless they're still intrigued from the NFL, that would kind of bail out both sides. It'll be interesting to see what they come to an agreement on. Um, I've heard his family too isn't very happy in Ann Arbor. Sure. And, uh, there's a chance that like maybe that over becomes the overriding decision too, where he just kind of, they, they go their separate ways. But the thing that I think has stood out the most to me is for a guy who, you know, made his name. And I think was it was Josh Johnson with him at San Diego. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Cause he built up that program. He goes to Stanford. Andrew Luck has a great success there. Goes the NFL, there goes Alex Smith, but, uh, you know, which obviously had the most success he had at San Francisco with, with Harbaugh. But yep. then you get Colin Kaepernick, the success he has with him. That's the most that Colin had. And so you thought of Michigan, like, okay, like he's going to be able to like recruit and develop quarterbacks. Has not done that. Has not I mean, at all. The last guy they have drafted, right? An NFL drafted quarterback out of Michigan was Chad Henney in 2008. Yep. And, you know, Jake Rudock was drafted in the sixth round, but he was an Iowa grad transfer. And they haven't been able to have anyone really come in there since. Now, this Cade McNamara kid maybe the next kid, but you know, I don't know if the Harbaugh will be there. So it's just, it's crazy for the most important position, the one that impacts the game the most, especially in college. Uh, they have not been able to develop or find a kid to come in and really excel. Yeah, it is nuts. Um, anyway, I lied. No college talk. We obviously got to some college talk. Let's, uh, let's move to the NFC. We're all over the place today. It's fine. Um, you know, I'm going to throw a little bonus. <laughs> In there, just to you know, just to just to encourage the insanity. Um, so uh, on the NFC, it it really looks like the Packers are going to get the number one seed here, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Feel it feels that way, and pretty wild that you know Kansas City. I don't know if Kansas City has a crazy home field advantage, but I feel like in this type of season, with the, they're allowed to have some fans and they're going to have weather there, and then Green Bay, you know, even without the fans, they're going to have weather. That's two pretty big home field advantages. Do you think that? How like how big a factor is that for a team like Green Bay, even without the fans? It's huge. Although I would say the difference between Kansas City and Green Bay, with talking about weather and climate like impacting it, is even though Green Bay is balanced, they can run the football. That's kind of their defense's Achilles' heel. Yeah, like they can't stop the run, so it almost kind of plays against them. Where you know, you look at some of the other teams come in there, like we we watch the Tampa Bay Bucks absolutely dismantle them. Like if they find their way where they're playing one another. You know, the Bucks, the Bucks do have a good power, you know, run game. It's just unfortunate that Bruce Aarons and Byron Leftwich like never want to go to it and stick with it. Instead, they kind of just keep chucking the ball down the field. So, um, there are a lot of teams that I feel like when you look at the NFC can run the football and have the ability to do so that, that could actually work against Green Bay. But yeah, I, I think, you know, like if you're talking about like the Saints taking on, uh, the Packers in the NFC championship game, which is like what I thought would happen before the season started. Yeah, they got taste of Hill and Alvin Kamara, but like, is that gonna, is Drew Brees gonna be able to do enough in the passing game? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, especially not in, in that sort of climate. So who do you, who do you, how do you look at this? Like, I mean, it, do you see it the same way as the AFC where, or is it just, is it much more of a mixed bag because there's nobody as good as Kansas City? Like, do you, who do you, how many teams out of the current playoff field in the NFC do you, can you picture coming out and, and, and being in the Super Bowl? Um, that's a good question. I mean, 
I'll put it this way. Like, again, looking at just the overall seating, like, I think these are probably the seven, seven teams we're going with. I don't think Minnesota makes a run to get in. However, you know, I, I guess if you're looking at that number seven spot now, which, uh, I'm trying to think who, who has that right at, at the moment. Arizona seven, right? Arizona. Like Arizona, I could easily see losing out that spot and, and, you know, the Minnesota Vikings end up finding their way in as the seven. Cause I mean, look, if we're looking at both teams like Dalvin Cook, the way Cousins has played down the stretch, defense has improved a bit. I, I think they've proven more than maybe the Cardinals have with a dominant win over the Giants, but a lot of football left to be played. Um, I just, I have a hard time believing Arizona will be able to make a run in the playoffs. I mean, outside of like Green Bay and, and the Saints, which those two teams have been pretty consistent, pretty much the, the best the entire season. I don't know. I mean, like Seattle's kind of a wild card to me. Tampa Bay is kind of a wild card as far as what to expect when they show up. Uh, the Washington football team, I, I'm not really expecting to do much. So I, I think like the NFC seems a little more clear to me, uh, than, than dealing with the others. I think the only question is like Drew Brees' health and what he looks like when he comes back, if it's going to be in the regular season or if like they're going to keep him out all the way until, uh, potentially that wild card round since they'd probably be the two seed. Yeah. I mean, now can you see like, uh, for instance, can you see the Rams? Cause I, obviously we think the Packers can make it. Now the, the defense is concerned. I worry about Goff. I worry about, you know, if he just has one of those poor performances where they, their defense is, yeah, they've been solid all year. But what happens if he just turns the football over too many times? They, they kind of lose one of those games where, you know, Goff isn't able to play his best. They don't run the football for over 170 yards with Cam Akers. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of worry about that as, as that's how the end of the season started to look for Jared Goff. Well, and there's, there's, there's a lot of teams out there. Washington for one. Like, I feel like Washington is kind of a terrible matchup for the Rams just because if you can get pressure, if you can stop the run and if you can get pressure on Jared Goff without rushing, without having to blitz, that's a problem for, for, for those guys. And the same for the Buccaneers. Like, I, you know, I like, do you trust the Buccaneers even with Tom Brady? They're tough to trust right now. You know, they but, but tough to trust because like, I don't think they can stop the run. Like, since Vita Vey has left. Yep. They're now giving up plays in the run game. Um, they're, they're, you know, secondary has been good at times and other times they've given up some big plays. I just, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of like kind of questions about what they're capable of. Like the, the Vikings, I'm looking at Dalvin Cook, which he does at the most teams, but there are some gashes in the rushing attack. There were some times where Davis is getting, you know, I don't want to say exposed, but, uh, people are starting to target him or pick on him a little bit, whether it's Jeff, Jefferson or Thielen. And I just, you know, there's going to be other teams that try to implement the same strategy and they're going to, they're going to try to exploit those weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so is, is there anybody in the NFC side that you trust? Cause it's. Yeah. I, look, I trust Green Bay. I trust New Orleans. I think those teams will ultimately be playing off in the, uh, in the championship game. I think that to me, the AFC is way more of a wild card yeah. after Kansas City as far as what it's going to be. I think the NFC is a bit more clear. Like, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks can pull off an upset or. I mentioned Seattle for some reason. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think it's in part because you don't trust the defense. You know, like a running game is not consistent and you trust Russ, but that's about all they have. And that's and the I, hard thing. And I don't trust the coaching staff to do what they did early in the season and let Russ cook. Like I just well, don't feel like they're going to do that. Maybe that, maybe that's not what they should do. Well, I, but the, the weather could dictate them not being able to do that. Right. I mean, they're going to have to fly across the country and play in, in, you know, Washington. If the, if, if the seating would stay how it is right now, they're the five, Washington's the four. That would be the match that they have to go up against. You'd have a defensive front that clearly would be able to get after Russell Wilson and probably stop the rushing attack. So they'd have to let him cook and you hope that the, the, you know, the weather wouldn't play a factor in forcing them not to. Right. Um, 
Mm. All right. This is, man, this is going to be, the playoffs are going to be awesome. Yeah. Because there are, even though. Well, what, the wild card round is what's going to be awesome. And again, I go back to like previous years, you know, just there's times you look at the matchup, you're like, this is going to be very lopsided. And then look, I know Tennessee and New England kind of were otherwise last year, but still, I don't know that we're going to see that in the NFC. I think there's the potential of, of there being a team that does that in the AFC this year. Yeah. I mean, I think Kansas City is the obvious. I, I don't know. I just feel like there's the way, the upside of these AFC teams with what they can do. Like, cause I, Tennessee, I don't think Tennessee is better than Kansas City. I don't think they'll beat Kansas City, but I think if, if Kansas City catches Tennessee on their best day, they can win that game. I think if Kansas City oh. catches Buffalo on their best day, they can win that game. I, I worry about this. Kansas City is a more complete team than they were last year. And then their defense started to kind of emerge at the end of the season in the playoffs. Like Tennessee's defense is awful. I mean, do I feel like they can run the football over everyone and Tannehill will make enough plays to Brown and Davis? I, I get that. But like, I just don't, I don't think they'll be able to get the stops they need to against that offense because their defense is so bad. Like I actually, I believe Kansas City's defense can get off the field and get the stop to end a game. Sure. I, I can't say that about a lot of other teams like Buffalo's defense isn't playing as well. You know, outside of Pittsburgh, but I'm not sure Pittsburgh offensively can hang with, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So there's just so many more concerns like that, um, compared to most. Like I, if the Dolphins make it, I'm kind of curious how they're going to look, you know, cause their defense has played surprisingly really well. I like Tua as kind of a playmaker. They just, they, they always surprise you. You know, I think Flores has done a tremendous job. Is he your coach of the year now? Um, I don't know. It's, it's tough because I think had the Saints, if they had been undefeated, if they had been undefeated two years in a row now with backups during that span, like you'd have to really think how long and hard about Sean Payton. Did. Sean Payton gets the one seed with Taysom Hill. You almost have to give it to him. By the way, Taysom Hill is not going to start once Drew Brees comes back, right? No. I okay. mean, come on, dude. He, that whole situation got exposed. He wasn't getting through his reads. Like they, you know, for the sacks and all the pressures that he had, what was that? Eight sacks, whatever it was in the game. I mean, he could have gotten rid of the football too, like a backside in cut and all that. That's where. You know, look, he, he was a quarterback before. It took a while to get him back to the spot, but it, it came via his Swiss Army knife ability. You know, now you put him in that position. If you're going to drop back and throw the football 38 times, that's not a formula for him to have success. Like, he's not getting through his progressions fast enough and able to throw the football well enough to do that. Okay. Um, all right. That's enough random questions at the end of the podcast. Uh, who, oh, uh, well, I'll get you on this. Who is in the, uh, college football playoff? Who are the four teams? In the college football playoff. And the four teams will be Bama, Notre Dame. I also want to know. And Ohio State. Who is the 2020 ACC champion? Nope. I'm not going to answer that. Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State are the four teams in the playoff. I mean, I think the Irish are in no matter what happens. I agree. So it. So Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. We'll predict a Notre Dame upset. Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Those are the four teams. Okay. So is this, you don't want to predict an upset or you want to admit a, a clear cut? Clear? I'm just saying Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Oh, that, that actually answers the question. All right. That's fine. Um, I, I think Notre Dame's, uh, more of a live, uh, dog in this game than people are giving them credit for. Yeah. I, I would argue this. Like if you think Trevor Lawrence is going to come in and save the day, uh, two things. DJ Uwe Ungalale threw for over 400 yards and a couple touchdowns. Like, it wasn't the passing attack. It was the fact that they couldn't run the football with ETN. So that's going to be the first question is like, are you, I mean, I would be shocked if he surpassed the amount of yards that Lawrence or the Uyungo Lele passed for. Sure. The question becomes, does his athleticism 
And does he have a little better ability to run? Now, they don't run him a ton, but he will be more of a factor before. And so can you stop ETN two times, which is tough? And then they had some defensive players out uh that will be back for this. And I'll say like Tyler Davis and Skolski, those See, guys I, back. Skolski is the, is the wild card. Right. Well, no, it, to me, it's more of their D tackle because Notre Dame isn't going to have their center Patterson they had for the first matchup. Oh. It'll either be Josh Lug or Zeke Corral. So, you know, neither of those guys had experience versus Clemson the first time. So now not only are you playing a better player up front, but you also are having a, a new guy in that spot. Uh, so that could be potentially uh, a problem spot to keep an eye on. All right. Well, I hope it's, um, I don't, I'm torn. I'm torn on this one. I don't know what I want to have happen. Cause see, if Clemson, Clemson. No, won- you should want Notre Dame to be the, the only year, the first and only year they ever go in a conference. Yeah, I don't, I really win don't it want And then that. say, how about them apples? Stop with all the, the huffing and puffing about us joining a conference. We did. We want it. Stop being crybabies. Yeah, that's then the we go back thing. to being independent. But see, see, here's the toss up. See, that's the last thing I want. Well, except maybe it's the next to last thing I want. Because if Clemson wins, then Carolina is going to the Orange Bowl more than likely. Yep. And then it's just Mac is back as he's like hoisting oranges and it's like, you know, like, and, and then NC State's going to the, the, the mayonnaise bowl or, or, or whatever. Well, NC State ain't going to the orange bowl either way. It's going to be, no, they're going to be North Carolina or Clemson. Correct. Or Notre Dame if the committee decides that USC is better than Notre Dame. No, that wouldn't be the scenario. I, I, I think, I think how that would happen is if Florida got in, if they beat Bama, which is unlikely as a two loss team, the Bama's still getting in. Florida would obviously get in the first ever two loss team, but an SEC conference champ. Sure. And then you probably have Ohio State because they'll, they'll drum Northwestern. And then if Notre Dame lost to Clemson, that's where they could be on the outside looking in. Um, that would be tough. That would be tough. And then you'd, yeah. you'd see them probably play in that instance, AM in the Orange Bowl, right? It'd be Notre Dame versus AM, which would be a great matchup, but still that'd be tough to swallow. That would be a tough pill to swallow if you're Notre Dame, and especially if it was like a seven-point loss to Clemson in the. In we, the- we we both know they're not going to leave out the SEC champ, and if it is Florida, even with two losses, they're still getting in, and they're still get, getting Bama in. Like that, the, Bama just carries more weight in that regard, um, and and that would be the tough thing I think for Notre Dame. I mean, look to Bama's credit and to Nick Saban's credit, they've looked like the most dominant team in college football all year. Bama Bama can lose. Two- 28 to nothing against Florida. I still think they're in. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think they're untouchable. I think Notre Dame's close. They just can't have Florida win that game. But I think they're in. I think that they might be more likely to leave Ohio State out than Notre Dame out. 100%. Well, I mean. I'm saying, like, if Florida, if Florida wins, like, I think the first team out might be Ohio State, not Notre Dame. And, and you can make that case, but the issue is, you know, they haven't done anything to justify being in the top four right now. I mean, the Big Ten's down. Look at Northwestern's past to, path to get to the Big Ten championship. Yeah. I mean, for starters, it, it's an awful Big Ten West this year, and, and, and Northwestern's being touted as a good defensive team. And then on the flip side, outside of beating Indiana, I mean, who have they played? Who have they really showcased anything against? So five, well, they have five games, six after this, right? And, and that's where, like, that's what irks me as a Notre Dame, you know, alum is every single year Notre Dame is knocked for not having a 13th game or conference championship game. And now we're talking about a team that, yeah, they got a conference championship game. It's going to be their sixth game of their season versus other teams who played 11 games. Like, are, are we being serious right now? Like, look what happened to Florida. Like, LSU, they were a double point, you know, favorite. And they lose to LSU. So, yeah, those games matter. Like, 
Upsets happen. Uh, Ohio State lost to Iowa. They lost to Purdue as double-digit favorites in both events. So, like, don't tell me that, like, Ohio State with six wins as a Big Ten championship is a shoe-in or should be. Like, yeah, they look good, but they're not playing anyone. They've played less games. Like, yeah, and, and look, the, reason, the reason why John Swafford in the ACC pulled that, like, player safety move and said, hey, look, we're done with the games. We've got three teams that are competing. We're going to let Miami play Carolina. If they win, then we'll see what happens. Otherwise, it's just Notre Dame and Clemson. Is It was because they it's don't smart. It was smart. They, of course. They, look, Alabama right now, if they go 11-0, okay, they'll be the first team ever in SEC history to win that many SEC games. I mean, think about it. Like, think about the, the yeah. path that they have to go on. No, we, we haven't seen, by the way, we haven't seen a national champion that has won, went undefeated, and won all nine conference games. We've never seen it. Yeah. Because they usually play eight. And back when Ohio State had won it, they were only playing eight. Now they play nine. Like, we, we just haven't seen that. So that's the difficulty is – going unscathed throughout a schedule where you're only playing your own conference. That's tough to do. Yeah. And even like, not to belabor the point, but like you think about like Ohio state or Clemson, like every year, you know, Clemson lost to Notre Dame without Lawrence. And that was their, okay, you better wake up and pound the cupcakes left on your schedule. Usually there's some sort of egg they lay against Syracuse or, and Ohio state does that too. Like they'll, you know, I mean, they almost lost to Indiana and I know it was, you know, wasn't as close down the stretch, but like there's enough, mine like landmines out there that you're going to slip up. And so it's, right. to me, it's unfair to reward Ohio state for being perfect halfway through a season when they knew all along that they were never going to have to play a full conference schedule. No, I'm with you. I mean, they, they basically got the most difficult opponent at home, you know, and that's, that, that's really the only thing they can say is, you know, an Indiana team that uh, ended up exceeding expectations this year, ended up being the second best team in the East. Then, to be quite honest, they might be the third best team in the conference. Like Iowa's probably the, the second best team right now, the way they've played. Um, it's not Northwestern. Like if those two teams played off right now, I, and, and also by the way, Iowa would have beat Michigan this weekend if they were, those two teams would have played. So it's, it's, it, it, it's just interesting how it's going to work out. It, it'll be fun to watch though. Yep. Uh, well, I hope for your sake that you guys get it because then that means more money in my pockets. I think we will. Thanks for the, uh, yeah, I'm all about the, you know, the comfort socialism. That's how it should work. Anyway, <laughs> let's get out of here. Uh, Brady Quinn, great stuff as always, buddy. Uh, good talking to you. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.